0: You have a dream that you've tucked away in your closet or maybe you've neatly folded it up and put it somewhere in your wardrobe. Or like today's guest Jen Owen, she took that dream and put it on the back burner. There's a number of reasons for this, and we're going to start today's conversation with what held Jen back from pursuing that back burner dream first. But because of the pandemic, she had to pivot, and so she took that dream and put it as the priority. And now some interesting things are happening as a result. This is also an interesting discussion to listen to because Jen has experience in schools where uh, they were really driven by students. And uh, we also get into a a candid conversation, what it's like to be a female entrepreneur in a male-dominated tech industry. And I think there's value in hearing uh, how she navigates that challenging atmosphere Uh, For female leaders and then for male leaders, you know, there's value in uh, just growing your emotional intelligence and understanding what our female colleagues can go through. Hey, it's Daniel and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, a show for ruckus makers, those out-of-the-box leaders making change happen in education. And we'll be right back with these messages from our show sponsors. to successfully navigate change, shape your school's success, and lead your teams with Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Get world-class Harvard faculty research specifically adapted for pre-K through 12 schools. Experience self-paced online PD that fits your schedule. Apply today at hgse.me forward slash leader. That's hgse.me forward slash leader. Hey, hey, Maker. My friends over at SMART have developed a research-backed tool that will show you not only your strengths and weaknesses, but where you should strategically focus your energy in order to drive better results for your students. This tool is called the EdTech Assessment Tool, and you can take it at smarttech.com forward slash profile. Take the EdTech Assessment Tool at smarttech.com forward slash profile. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at organizedbinder.com. Hey, Ruckus Maker, I am joined today by Jen Owen, an EDS, the founder of Co Create Ed. And Jen is a local in Atlanta. I think you call him an atl if that's right. So uh, I did get my start as well in Atlanta, but this is about you. Uh, Where Jen is on a mission to make education humanizing and equitable for all learners. Shortly after earning her bachelor's at UGA, Jen's fire for student-centered learning was ignited on a year-long adventure in New Zealand. There she taught in a progressive public charter school, trained in uh, self-student-directed and inquiry-based learning strategies, and began partnering with students to help them take ownership of their educational journeys. She brought those learnings back to the U.S. where she helped found and later lead a small private school to meet the needs of neurodiverse students in innovative ways. As her passion for both leadership and educational equity grew, she went on to earn a master's in in urban teacher leadership and a specialist education in educational leadership from Georgia State University. After a decade of teaching, coaching educators, and leaning both in private and public school sectors, Jen recently took the leap into her latest endeavor as a co-creator, aspiring to close equity gaps in the classroom by making great professional development more accessible for all educators co is the first marketplace platform in the PD industry, connecting school leaders directly with professional development providers so they can easily book their trainings the teachers need. Jen, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: So we'll, we'll get into the marketplace you've created, and I definitely want to hear a bit about the ins and outs uh, with that. And I think it would be of value to the ruckus maker listening But prior to what it's all about, and I'm sure you'll explain it a little bit, I want to start with the pivot, the pandemic pivot, because (laughs) many of us uh, went through that, whether you're running a business or you're running a school, lots of folks uh, had to pivot, at least if they wanted to thrive and be successful. So that's a skill leaders need. And will you tell us that story and start there?
1: Sure, happy to tell it, even though it's a tough one to tell. So, you you gave a little bit from my bio of the backstory that that led us to where we are today with Co-created. But like you mentioned, there was a major pivot involved. So. When I initially set out to do co-created, I thought I was going to be working with teachers directly, going into schools, providing trainings, and helping close those equity gaps at the classroom level through direct training services that I would provide myself. So I worked on that for months and months and tried to build this startup company and all that that entails. And then COVID happened. So suddenly, the whole world's upside down. Everything's different. My whole customer base, my client base, are now all of a sudden out of pocket. You know, everybody is then learning remote. Um, this was right around March, and I had had my very first major contract with a school on the table in February, and that completely fell through. So you know, COVID happened. Like I said, schools weren't weren't really in the mindset of let's book professional developments, they were in survival mode. Naturally, everyone's navigating this completely unprecedented set of circumstances. And it it definitely sent me back to the drawing board. So I had along the way had this idea on the back burner thinking about how we can make professional development just easier to find and easier to access. Um, Just, you know, as my background as a school leader, I remember spending hours trying to find professional development for my teachers. And it was never straightforward. It was, you know, calling into my network saying, you know, who did you use? Who did you use? What training did you book? Or spending hours Googling. And um, then on the flip side, when I was then trying to provide those trainings myself and build up a client base, that was challenging too. And so I think that COVID... Ended up being like the kick in the pants I needed to really get going on this back burner idea, and um, and just take that leap and 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 jump in head first. So at that point, I switched entirely from being you know Jen, the education consultant, hoping to work with teachers and do trainings, into Jen, the ed tech entrepreneur, entering this brand new world that I'm completely unfamiliar with and figuring it out as I go. So that's what I've been doing ever since March is learning, 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 and building a solution that I hope will help school leaders who have faced what I faced when I was in their shoes.
0: Thank you for doing that and taking the leap. And, and we're going to dig in later uh, in terms of what it's like being a woman uh, in a tech space. But Jen, I'm curious. So you mentioned that that idea for the marketplace was on the back burner. And can you identify you know, why that wasn't the the first idea that you were going after, so to speak, and why it was on the back burner?
1: I guess there's two answers to that question.
0: Give me the real one then. <laughs> <laughs>
1: the real honest answer is it's scary. It is scary. Uh, technology is not something that comes naturally to me. I mean, bringing almost 12 years experience in the education field to the table means I have no experience whatsoever in web development, software development, um, any of these pieces that it would actually take to make this marketplace a reality. So it's been a lot of reaching out into networks, um, asking questions that make me feel really silly, um, finding a tech advisor that can actually guide me in this whole new world. So yeah, fear. Fear was, uh, was stopping me in a lot of ways until finally, like I said... The circumstances of the world made it to where I couldn't give in to that fear anymore. <laughs> and I had to just, you know, find that courage and make it happen. And then the other piece is just my one, number one true passion is working directly with teachers. Like, I hands down think educators are the world's best people, and working with them directly is. It just—it's where I come alive. So the pain of letting go of this idea that like I was going to have this cool consulting thing where I get to work directly with teachers—that was painful. I had to let go of like a piece of my identity with that, you know, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. form this new one around being an
0: ed tech entrepreneur. Yeah, thank you for the candor. There's so much good stuff there. Uh, what you ended with in terms of um, the identity, right? And so, part of the the first iteration in your passion working with teachers that's how you define yourself, so having to change some of that felt personal right so obviously it's gonna be difficult. You mentioned fear, which i uh, I guess that that would be something you were experiencing i'm I'm glad you that you shared it because I think for all the ruckus makers listening, you know they're School leadership's already complex enough, right? And now with uh, the rate of change, with the pandemic, uh, who knows what the future will look like. If we're going to create schools that what they truly need to be, we're going to have to push past the fear and push past how we identify as a school leader to turn into what we need to be uh, for our students. So, you know, those those are two points um, among many that I think are very relevant for the ruckus makers. So. Appreciate you sharing that. I know, I know you care about educator activism, and maybe you can riff on how you embed social justice into the fabric of uh, what you do.
1: Yeah, thank you for for bringing that up. That is absolutely one of the most foundational aspects of what Co-created stands for as a company, and and really just who I am as a person. Um, I've had the opportunity through building Co-created, and you know. Navigating this whole new space to get involved with some other education entrepreneurs and other education activists and um, do some more work in the education activism space. And so one really amazing example recently was being a part of the Atlanta Educators for Black Lives March. Uh, I had the opportunity to work together with a team of about 10 other educators. And these are educators in a variety of roles, teachers, community leaders, fellow entrepreneurs. And we came together around the question, you know, what would it look like if when we say Black Lives Matter at school, we truly, truly meant it? And the 10 of us who were on this organizing team, we we started brainstorming and imagining and envisioning and through that came up with a list of demands and created a March event here in Atlanta for those demands that also included a component where we contacted our elected officials directly. There was like a call to action with one of those, you know, text message things that makes it super easy to put people directly in contact with their elected officials. And yeah, so we sent that out to the Georgia Board of Education, the Metro Atlanta, the eight big district board of eds, and um, some of the legislators on the state level Congress who are in charge of education related decisions. And uh, we had a pretty good turnout. We had between three and 400 educators that turned out that day. We had an amazing lineup of speakers and just seeing the just really diverse group of educators who came out to support that cause was incredibly inspiring and something that really pushes me to always keep equity at the center of my work and also know that I'm not alone in it. Nobody's alone in it. We are all in this together, like fighting this fight because equity is so important, and we want all students to have a school experience that really shows them that they matter.
0: Well, that's that's really interesting. Um, how you're living that out, and and I like the juicy questions too. Like, what is what does it mean to really honor the idea that Black lives matter? I have a a friend and colleague, Demetrius, he's been on the show a number of times, um, but he's a principal in California. And one of those juicy questions he is uh, trying to answer with his community, the idea that's common in U.S. that there's liberty and justice for all. Is that really happening Mm, within our community is what he's asking. And so I love when people uh, uh, aren't afraid of those challenging questions uh, because it's going to bring up, right, a lot of charged uh, reactions potentially but
1: and without those big questions though, it's impossible to move progress forward. Like we have to, we have to go there. We have to go there with the hard questions. We have to be willing to face them and wrestle through it. And it's, it's messy and it's uncomfortable and it's so, so very worth it.
0: Yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say is, you know, again, like that fear of not pursuing what was on the back burner, right. Or the fear of discussing Black Lives Matter or Liberty Justice for All, you got to push past that if we're going to create schools to be and turn into the leaders we need to be for our communities. Um, Another big juicy idea that you you care a lot about is this uh, one of all kids deserve high quality education. So I'd love to hear more about the best way you make that a reality.
1: Yeah, so that was again it's been like the the connecting theme throughout the different moves I've made in my career is, you know, I want, I'm always striving to make a bigger impact and make that phrase come true, <laughs> make it true that all students deserve and have access to high quality education. So that's looked different ways across time. It looked like being a teacher in the classroom and having that really Amazing direct impact directly with the kids. I, I miss that all the time. Kids are just they're they're awesome. And then from there, it looked like being part of a startup team and helping create a school that served students who had autism, ADHD, other learning differences, and uh, just seeing how much our students are capable of when we just kind of get out of the way, <laughs> and when we truly do define ourselves and our students as co-creators. And that's you know foundational to what led to the. Name of the company. But students are our partners in that learning journey. And so just... In that experience with that startup school, we had students who were leading their own learning. They were creating portfolios to demonstrate and showcase all that they had learned and all that they had created. They were leading their own conferences and demonstrating to their parents how confident and capable they had become because of being able to lead their own learning. And so through that experience and seeing like, wow, like this is what awesome high quality education looks like. It looks like students who are owning it, who feel really connected to their own educational path. And and then thinking to myself, like, how can I bring this experience on a bigger scale? And so then my next move from that tiny startup school was into a coaching role. So an instructional coaching role in the public school space and working with teachers and helping improve instructional practices that way. And then from there, finding out that making change within really large public school systems can be extremely challenging. And hopefully I'm not alone in saying that. I'm sure anyone who's had the experience of trying to make change within these really big systems has had that experience of running up against all these different obstacles and the bureaucracy of it and um, sometimes the politics of it and it can be extremely challenging and so I, I just I kept racking my brain and thinking if this is my mission if my mission is to help more kids have access to high quality learning what's my next option <laughs> and the next option was co-created it was let me try the same stuff I believe in from this new angle and maybe they'll hear it with new ears. And so it's it's always about just keeping pressing forward, staying committed to that mission and finding a different way to make it happen.
0: That's interesting too at the end. They're like staying committed to that message. Um just reading a book on that on uh it's called the mindset scorecard. It was really it's more just like a little ebook download. But one of the things that I've been really wrestling with lately is that like I think the the journey of an entrepreneur and that of a leader I think the biggest challenge what I'm learning is boredom, honestly, because uh, you want to get off message just because it's a bit newer, you know, Uh, and and presents a new, um, I guess, challenge. And so the importance of staying on message, saying the same thing, like you said, right, like a million different times, maybe it'll um, be heard this time. That's the challenge, at least what I'm resonating with. So I, I connect with what you're saying
1: yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting way to put it. I've never heard it um, framed around boredom yeah. and that we, you know, as humans can be attracted to the next shiny yeah. thing, like go after the exciting thing. And, and sometimes the most impactful thing we can do is small, consistent actions steadily over time. And that's not sexy. That's not, you know, the thing you get excited about, uh, but it's effective,
0: Right. Yeah. So for me, I'm trying to just continue. And I I think for for you and then for the ruckus maker listening, like continue to look at your schedule and where possible, delegate and eliminate those things that are getting you off that message. Right. Because that's that's a time and energy and uh, focus uh, drainer. And therefore, it's going to limit the type of impact you can have if you go all in on that passionate thing you're really about, like all kids deserving high-quality education. You talked about the startup school a bit. I'm not sure if that was the one in New Zealand or if that was in the, the U.S., but and you mentioned uh, portfolios and some presentations. Can you share just a little more and give, uh, uh, I guess, some meat on the bones to those listening to what student-directed learning has been like in your experience so they might implement potentially in their schools?
1: Definitely. So I first became familiar with student-directed and student-centered learning practices in New Zealand. It was that first year, that most formative year of a teacher's career, you know, when you're just getting your feet wet and figuring it all out. That, for me, was in this school that was specifically designed around student-directed learning. And um, it was mind-blowing, honestly, coming straight out of college and into that environment. And the students there having so much freedom and so much leeway um, to the point where even our seventh and eighth graders at that school, they were able to earn something called a trust license. And what that meant, and this is going to sound pretty wild to any of our listeners in America, is our students earned this trust license by proving they are trustworthy and our school at that time was actually located right above a city bus station and so the students when they would design their projects that they were working on it was a project based learning student directed school they would say this is what i'm interested in learning this is how it's going to hit my my learning goals And then they could go out into the community. They could ride a city bus in groups of four students with no adult supervision and go out there and find the stuff they needed for that project. So they might go to a museum, they might go interview an expert, but you know, there there were parameters in place to make sure like they have to get back on time, that kind of thing. But it was incredible to see that they were capable of handling that much responsibility and that much freedom when one, they had to earn that trust license, it felt very symbolic. And then two, like feeling. Like they're being trusted, it it just it shifts the mindset. It really does, and so that that was one piece of that's kind of to an extreme, right? Is the students that are independently navigating the city to pursue these projects. Getting to that point, though, took a lot of scaffolding, a lot of, um, you know, building up to that level of freedom, responsibility, self-leadership. And so, you know, we've got our our youngest learners, our first grade age kids who are also doing project-based learning, who are also doing self-directed kind of stuff and thinking about what am I interested in? What am I curious about? What am I wanting to learn more about? And then over time, as they go through this school, that support that they get initially get scaffolded back to where they're more and more in charge of the process. And so then fast forward to back in the US in the startup school for students with autism and ADHD, we... Implemented those same kind of practices. And a lot of it in a practical sense looked like student centered and student directed assessments. So like I mentioned, the portfolio. So we were at, with every unit of instruction. At the end of it, students would select the pieces of work that they had created to then put in their portfolio to showcase. And they would write a small reflection to go with it. Like, this is why I chose this piece. This is what it means to me. This is why I'm proud of it. Or this is a big fat mistake I made that I learned something from because that's learning too. We want to really highlight that as well. So they'd have the portfolios and we'd have a big showcase night. The portfolios would be on display. Any projects they'd created were on display and they would kind of, you know, tour their families through this this showcase to to demonstrate all that they had learned. And then at conference time, there was kind of, an agenda they would follow and they would walk their parents not only through the portfolio, but through any other assessments they had taken and show like the progress they had made over time and um, just different things like that. So the portfolio, the, the conference piece, and then just them having a lot of choice and voice throughout the learning unit. So beyond just the assessment at the end, right from the beginning, their goal setting. So every unit, they set a personal goal about this is something I either want to learn more about or something I want to get better at. And then over the course of that unit, they would pursue those goals and then provide evidence at the end of how they went towards achieving that goal. Um, So goal setting and reflection is another really big component of it.
0: Yeah, that's that's huge. And uh, I'm hearing a lot of ownership and agency learning from failure. And then, like you said, the trust license, Thank you. Thank you know, maybe U.S. might be the only place I don't know. I guess it's guess lived experience. I haven't been everywhere, but where you don't necessarily have that trust with the students or uh, have the ability to earn it. But when I was in, in Europe and then the UK, there's kids always around everywhere. And you only, you only didn't know they were students when school was out of session, when they weren't in their school uniforms. Mm-hmm. Um, but even in, in South Africa, when I was there, uh, the kids weren't going off campus. But I remember this is like a while ago, ten years ago. But I remember going in for a, a passing period, and it became a tea break, okay? Because uh, British colonies, South Africa was a colony of Britain.
1: Oh, well, we had tea time too. We had morning tea. That was our. Yeah. Totally.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So everyone got around for uh, tea and biscuits, which are cookies and they laughed and sang and told jokes. It was so cool. And there was no adults with the kids. They were all outside by themselves, multi-grade levels from uh, the nappies. Actually, those guys did have adult supervision, the kindergartners that still wore uh, diapers or whatever preschool. I don't know. Obviously I'm not an early childhood person, Uh, but then Bigger adults, right? So your elementary and middle school kids, they were just all out there playing football. You
1: know, it's interesting you bring up the morning tea that's reminding me of another memory from that time that's actually more specific to leadership is we had a duties rotation at that school. And I remember this, again, was my first year teaching. It was always really striking to me that our principal at that school put himself on the duties rotation rotation alongside all the teachers. And so like he would take his shift at morning tea duty, which is the person who's supposed to at least like circulate, make sure the kids are all still accounted for loose supervision, you know? But yeah, I remember that really standing out that he was on that duties rotation, just like we were, you know, it was not so much of a hierarchy. It was a lot more like we're in this together. That really... Stood
0: out well. Speaking of standing out, I think being a woman in the the tech space also has you stand out, uh, whether you want to or not. And so, I'd love to get to that story, um, right after this break. And so, let's pause here just for a moment for a, a message from our sponsors learn how to successfully navigate change, shape your school's success, and empower your teams with Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership program. Get online professional development that fits your schedule. We're now enrolling for February and June 2021. Courses include Leading Change, Leading Schools, and Leading People. Apply today at hgse.me forward slash leader. That's hgse.me forward slash leader. SMART has an incredible research backed tool that allows you as a leader to self assess your capabilities at the school level or broader to help you with planning and prioritizing. Discover your strengths and best area of focus across five different modules, including leadership and remote learning. The tool inspires collaboration with your colleagues and provides massive value whether you complete one or all five of the modules. You'll get a personalized report that shows where you stack up against other ruckus makers and map some areas of focus that will have the greatest impact for you. Take 10 minutes and get started with this EdTech assessment tool today. I suggest beginning with the strategic leadership module. Check it out at smarttech.com forward slash profile. That's smarttech.com forward slash profile. Today's show is brought to you by Organized Binder. All right, and we're back with Jen Owen, who is the founder of co-created.org, and that'll be linked up for you in the in the show notes. Uh, she had the pivot, so I'm sure you're here. You heard the the beginning story, of uh, the pandemic pivot that happened within her company, and now I want to talk about what it's like being a woman in tech space. It's important because hopefully women ruckus makers listening will get some encouragement or some ideas on how to navigate what goes from a, a female-dominated teaching faculty I think it's like 70 something, almost 80% of uh, teachers are women. And then my research the other day for my book, I think it's like only 34%. It's a low 30s of principals are actually women. So that's, um, that's what it is. Those are just the results. I won't judge it uh, on the show. But I think it's been a challenge for you. And I also want the male ruckus makers listening to grow in their emotional intelligence and awareness of issues that uh, female leaders face. So what's it like for you being in the tech space?
1: Oh, wow, wow, this question. So I, I love that you shared those statistics, first of all, because what's interesting to me is as you start out in education at you know, the bottom rung of the ladder, so to speak, I hate that term, but that's you know just speaking of what it is, the teaching force is made up predominantly of women, like you mentioned, a really high percentage. And then the higher up the rungs of that ladder you go, the lower and lower that percentage of women gets. So you mentioned principals is a much smaller percentage than teachers. And then if you get to district level leadership, that percentage is even more minuscule. So our our representation of women in higher leadership positions is like complete inverse of what we see in the teaching force. So just something really, really interesting that I hope over time we do something about in education. So yeah, going from this really female-dominated industry of education into the technology world, the ed tech space has been like culture shock, to be totally honest. It's um, being a woman in this very male-dominated field has been, I always knew it. You know, it's one of those things like, You can know it intellectually, but then when you experience it and feel it, it's a completely different thing. It's been a lot of feeling like the people who wrote the rules of the game know the rules. And then I'm coming in as this outsider trying to play catch up. Like, what what is this game that we're playing? And what are the rules? And how do we interact? And why is it that I always feel 20 steps behind? And why is the language different? The the interactions are different. Just every piece of it feels so different. Um, I had an interaction not too long ago with a mentor or it was supposed to be a mentor. And he was someone who was extremely successful in the technology world. He's bought and sold companies. He's a very wealthy man and um, older white man, just for context and I get on the phone with them expecting like a mentorship conversation, right? Something like, okay, well, tell me about your company. Let's get to know each other. Let's feel this out. Is this going to be a good fit mentorship wise? No. First question out of the gate. What are your revenue projections for the next 12 months? (laughs) My company's only existed since March. So (laughs) answering that question, I kind of was like, well, you know, I... The reason I'm reaching out for mentorship is my background is in education. Like I'm I'm coming to this with some leadership experience, some field expertise, but when it comes to revenue projections and financial strategy, that's something I'm reaching out for mentorship. That's the whole point of this conversation. And uh, his response was, well, I thought that you went through an incubator program already, which in this world, that's a program that helps you get your business off the ground, which I had. And it had helped me go from idea stage to at least a website existing stage. Um, But no, I don't have all the answers. I don't. And it was very clear to me that in this world, there's an expectation to have all the answers and to know all the answers. And if you don't, it's an aha, gotcha. And there's this kind of ritual that goes on where it's like the people that have been in this world longer have to grill the people that are new at it and try to get them and try to like find the hole and find the find the gotcha opportunity. And it's an interesting dynamic. And it's one that I really hope that we as women entering this space can do something to change because it doesn't have to be that way it just, it really doesn't. Like, I think we're all on the same team as far as like trying to push innovation forward, trying to come up with these new solutions to old problems. And shouldn't we be supporting one another? Shouldn't we be coming at this from a, like, let's build each other up place. And that's something that I think women could really bring to the table here.
0: Yeah, I agree. I'm interested too, Jen, in, in, are there any uh, routines and rituals, or anything you're doing to help you uh, survive and thrive in this sort of environment that, at times, right, is a, a bit antagonistic? I guess. So, yeah how do you how do you prepare for these?
1: Whew. There's there's a few different pieces to it. Um, after that experience, it was kind of a that one was very eye opening. That one particular one I just told you. So since then, I've I've sought out. Other mentors, <laughs> preferably a, a woman, I would like to be my mentor in this technology space who has dealt with this and gone through this before me. There's that piece. And then there's also just, you know, general self-care stuff that I've tried to get more diligent about. So back when 2020 began, you know, it's a fresh new year. I chose my words of the year, my new year resolution words of the year. I'm sure everybody can can relate to this. <laughs> And my words back then were courage and consistency. And I knew that if I'm trying to start a business and make a difference in the world, those are going to be the two keys to success. I have to courageously continue putting myself out there, even when it's extremely uncomfortable. And I have to take consistent steps forward. Kind of like you were mentioning earlier about like overcoming that boredom piece is like, I can't just you know, take, go this direction, go that direction, go this direction. I have to stay focused and stay consistent. And then the pandemic happened and consistency just felt impossible to attain. Consistency felt like the opposite of 2020. So instead, I was like, well, what's the background skill necessary for consistency? And I I came up with discipline. So my mid-2020 resolution became discipline. That's my new word to focus on. And so I've got my morning routine now. And every morning or at least, you know, I'm going for 80% here, not going for perfection. I try to start my day on my yoga mat. So my alarm goes off, I pet my dogs. That's that's also part of the routine. (laughs) And then make my way to the yoga mat, do my meditation, prayer, yoga, and then some journaling. And so I try to devote that first hour and a half of my day into pouring back into myself because as a solo founder and as a business leader... I have to remember, like, I am my most important resource right now, my most important asset. And so I have to try to, like, feed into that. And so starting my day with those practices has made a really big difference. And it helps me It helps me think clearer. The meditation piece helps me be less reactive. You know, having the power of the pause and the ability to, like, find that gap of time between... The input coming in and then output of my reaction, and being a little bit more thoughtful and purposeful with it. So, those kind of routines have helped a lot. And then, in addition, just having a great support network like having friends around who you can vent to, um, friends who I've been through thick and thin with, like even back to that school startup story. I've got a group that we were all part of that school startup team together and the school was, our mascot was the wolves. So now the four of us call ourselves the wolf pack. So my, right. my wolf pack is who I always turn to when when things like that mentorship phone call go off the rails. I call them up and say, y'all are never going to believe this one. <laughs> They're my go-to group of people, you know, that I can be my complete, full, real self with and just let it out, let it go and move on.
0: Everybody needs a wolf pack. It reminds me of uh, Brene Brown's idea of the uh, uh, square squad, you know, where you write down on a, one inch by one inch piece of paper all all the people's uh, opinions who uh, matter I actually put out a piece of content that went that responded you know the tribe responded really well to it had to do with uh, unconventional quotes but one of the ideas there is uh, in a in an art gallery right you see like have you seen the Mona Lisa right in the Lou or something like that there it is there's the name and there's no spot where people get to leave feedback right? In any gallery, under any painting, there's no spot where people get to leave comments and feedback. And that's such an important leadership and uh, artist learning because you create something, you do it with care, with empathy. You say, hey, I made this. Hopefully it resonates with people. But the guy that gave you that difficult feedback, you don't have to listen, right? And you go to the wolf pack. So that's that's something really important. The other piece, um, and then I want to get to our last two questions that I want to draw out from what you shared. I was recently reading this uh, other book. I think life is for the givers or give the give, you know, it's the idea of being generous, right. As opposed to a taker. And uh, the author used a metaphor that I thought was really great. Right. Imagine you have some sort of like thoroughbred, you know, prize winning horse. Right. And think about how would you treat that horse? Right. What kind of care would it get in terms of taking care of its coat and its you know, just its body, its makeup, that kind of thing. What kind of food would you give it? Right when it was cold, would you put you know some sort of horsey blanket on it? What would training look like? What kind of sleep would it get, etc.? And it's, I mean, it's very simple. You'd obviously give it the best if it was a thoroughbred. You're trying to do uh, win prizes and all this sort of stuff. But then when you think about yourself, either you uh, lead in your business or the school leader, the ruckus maker listening to this, how are they treating themselves, right? Are they getting on the yoga mat, petting their dogs, hanging out with the wolf pack, et cetera, or is it just work, 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 right? Uh, first one at the building, last one out, and not enough nutrition, sleep, care, they don't have a wolf pack, et cetera. And people, don't. you don't have to exist that way, right? So that, I think that's the last point I wanna, wanna make.
1: Right. And it's it's also hard to remember that. And it's hard to reconceptualize self-care as care in the way you would for like an animal, a horse, or another person, that kind of thing. And I I keep thinking to myself, like, first of all, it took me a while to understand what does self-care even mean? Like, what are those words? Like, are these just things I see like on an Instagram graphic that's going around? Or like, what's the, what's the reality? And I had to think and reconceptualize self-care as, I don't know, like, 2020 is hard. 2020 is a really hard time. And so I'm noticing in myself that I'm really seeking out softness. Like softness is what I need and it's what my body is wanting. And so that's what I'm seeking out. It's self-care to me is being gentle on myself. It's being self-soothing. Like after a really rough experience happens, like, Oh Jen, it's okay. (laughs) You know, like sometimes people, you know, conceptualize it as caring for the inner child. Maybe that's easier to visualize. Um, yeah, I keep thinking about this concept about 2020 is hard and I'm seeking out softness and how can I be soft with myself right now during this time?
0: So Jen, what message would you put on all school marquees across the world if you could do so for just a day?
1: Okay, so mine, it would have to be one of those like scrolling marquees because it would say, kids are people too. Teachers are people too. Principals are people too. Parents are people too. And it would just scroll through those words because I think... We forget that we're all in this shared human experience together. And sometimes it's just worth that reminder that, you know, yes, these are children but they're also humans. And yes, this parent is is a little bit on my nerves right now, but they're doing the best they can to raise that kid, just like I'm doing the best I can to educate their child. And, you know, yeah, my boss, the principal is giving me a hard time right now, but I might not know the million things that are going on in the background that's also on my boss's mind. And I have to give that grace and give that, that just understanding, that human understanding that we're all in this together doing the very best we can.
0: Yeah. I thought you were going to use a a one word descriptor of the shared human experience and boil that down into one, but that's okay. Oh, I wish. No, uh, I'm just being silly. I was thinking (laughs) of a curse word. Okay. uh, (laughs) So Jen, you're building a school from the ground up. You're not limited by any resources. Your only limitation is your imagination. How would you build your dream school and what would be your top three priorities?
1: I always love this question on your show. I love hearing people's answers because I think as educators, we all think about this, right? We all think about, well, well, my school will be like this. And if I could do it, it would be like that. So when I was first starting Co-Created, I had a partner I was working with at the time. And we would sit around thinking about this. Like, well, what if we started a school? And what would it be like? And one aspect that kept coming up is taking care of the adults, who do so much to pour into the children and how can we make teachers feel more professionalized, more valued as whole people. And one idea that we came up with is what if somehow we figured out a schedule to where the school could have two complete sets of staff. So there's like an AM staff and a PM staff. That way, as a teacher, half your day is FaceTime with the kids teaching and half your day is planning. Because really the amount of planning time that teachers get to do the job we're asking them to do is outrageously small. You know, you think about other places, like you mentioned teaching in Europe and how much different it is there. I know a lot of schools there get an outrageously more amount of planning time and our teachers need more planning time. So some way to have like this two staff thing that allows the teachers to get the planning time that they need so that they can do the job we're asking them to do. Another piece is I've been really inspired by the physical aspect of the school being inspired by co-working spaces. So I love in a co-working space, how, you know, there's a couch and a group of chairs over here. And then there's like an individual booth where you can make a phone call over there. And there's a small table here where you can have a meeting. And I think having this variety of workspaces would make so much sense in a school. I want kids to have these flexible workspaces. I, I, always go back to the quote that the environment's the third teacher. It's from like the Reggio Emilia philosophy. Um, There's three teachers of children. It's the teacher, other children, and the environment. And so I would love to see us getting more purposeful with designing the environment with that in mind. Like what if we really meant it when we said the environment's the third teacher? What would that school
0: look like? What if we just put any type of effort at all into designing schools, you know? So there's a lot of great ones, right? But the ones that I attended and uh, taught in that are older, I mean, it's just like so boring. So that's a a great um, spot to end in. So Jen, thanks so much for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast of everything we talked about today. What's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember?
1: Well, I mean, I hope that what I'm building is truly useful to the ruckus makers. I hope that, you know, the school leaders that are out there listening can visit code createdorg check it out. And that when I say co-created, I, I truly mean it. Like this is more than a buzzword to me. So if, if you go on the website and you've got feedback, if you've got ideas, like let me know. I want this to be something that serves the people who need it most. And I'm completely open to input in that. So just hopefully people take away that co-created is not a buzzword. It's what I'm about. And uh, if, if anyone needs anything, please reach out.